out on it. We'll have a good time. Uh, I want to expand your thinking and challenge you for just a few minutes. Over the last several weeks in this room on Sunday mornings, we've been holding Profit Training 101. Uh, you know, with Isaiah, and then we went to Jeremiah, and I know everyone here is eager to step outside of this teaching and proclaim your prophetic expertise once we're all done with this little humor there but uh, honestly truly to be a prophet would be to receive to sometimes carry but ultimately deliver the word of God and I mean is that not what we do really we're, we're, we're required to have received the gospel the word to carry it but not just carry it but to deliver it to the people of this world. So in a way, um, we are all responsible for delivering a word of God. And maybe not exactly in the way that the people that we've been reading about and things that have happened, but still yet, uh, we, are, we are bound to this, to make disciples, to go into all the world and to share this gospel. And we can glean a lot from these people that we're reading about um, Jeremiah chapter 18, if you will read with me, uh, starting with verse 1, says this. The word which came to Jeremiah, everybody say Jeremiah, Jeremiah. from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, our key verse this morning, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. We're talking about the potter's house today. If, um, if you've ever seen someone knit a quilt or something that is going to take a long period of time to make, you'll notice that often the design is complex to a point to where it has to be envisioned before it's ever started. You cannot just say, well, I'm gonna knit a quilt that's gonna have a picture of the American flag on it 
and just go to knitting without a plan to all that and expect it to turn out looking right. There has to be a method, there's a pattern to how you do all this, as is so much else in life. And, and there's parts of it, parts of it that perhaps wouldn't look that great if they were left alone. I mentioned before a story of a tapestry that was being made. It was a large, large tapestry that somebody had suspended upon a frame that they were knitting or whatever they were doing to it. And there was a man that come up and said that, um, that you know, that's an interesting thing that they're making there. And, and he said, to be honest, it doesn't look very good at all. It, it, it's, it's quite ugly. And the woman that was making it said, well, step over to the other side here. And from the back, it looked really terrible, but if you look at it from the right angle, it was beautiful. And this is really much of how God works. There are parts of the tapestry that he's creating that if we look at that part alone, we think it don't look good. It's, it's incomplete. I don't understand how this can be part of all of it. There's parts of our lives that involve sorrow, pain, suffering, that we don't understand how it can be part of the large tapestry but you're not seeing it from the angle that God is. You are seeing it from the angle of time. He's seeing it from the angle of eternity. Yeah. You're seeing it from that one part that you're focused on, and He views it from the whole. How that comes into the whole of it all. And as we, as we grow in God and we reflect on the quilt of our lives, we see beauty in things that we thought was terrible at one point, suffering that we had went through. We understand why we went through that, what the reason it all took place. So often God has um, a reason for all of that. There, there's a reason why we go through things. Uh, you may remember what it was like to be disciplined as a child. I know that, you know, there's a few people, perhaps somebody like Jr. that didn't get a single whooping in all of his life. I don't know. Um, but you may remember what that was like in the moment. Maybe you didn't get enough whippings growing up. Um, but there, there's a difference, we know, in just being punished and being disciplined. Because punishment is really just part of the discipline. There's, there's got to be something learned out of all of it. And there has to be uh, a lesson in it. There's got to be some kind of growth from it, hopefully. It's not to, uh, the, the punishment and all is not just to cause the child to stop doing that, but to know to do right is in the discipline. And, and hopefully that is what the child grows up to do is to do right. And parents can only do so much uh, because ultimately it's going to be that child's decision when they grow up what they decide to do in life. But God will sometimes work this way. Uh, a lot of people view it as a punishment. Um, but God is not just trying to punish people. He's trying to discipline us and work some things out of our life to cause us to do right. Now, how many could say today, you don't have to raise your hand, I guess, but that God disciplined you and you've changed the way you are. 
in something because it wasn't just a punishment. God was disciplined that thing out of you. He was working it out of your life. And we, we can all look back on things that God has done and how we've changed because God has worked on us. Uh, you're not a liar today, thankfully, because you had a parent or two who disciplined you to tell the truth. And God works the same way. He will discipline us. And it's our choice whether we conform to that or not. But there's some things in life that you cannot simply will yourself out of. Rather, God works it out of your life. There's things that we'll struggle with that as a human, we, we're not just going to be able to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. You have to have the power of God sometimes in, in, in some things that helps you work out of those struggles. And the scripture teaches us to think of God as our heavenly father. So many times he's addressed as a father to us. And it's only natural that as part of this relationship with him, he disciplines things out of our lives and he, he conforms us to his will and his purpose. And this is what this area of prophecy is about as we step into the potter's house for a few minutes this morning. Now, um, it's, it's interesting if you get a view of what's actually happening in Scripture here. These uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 and 19, the prophet was commanded by the Lord to proclaim messages to people of Judah, particularly Judah. And God directed Jeremiah not to simply speak these words. This is unique. He didn't say, here's what I want you to say to the people. Rather, he said, I want you to go and do this. And I'm going to speak to my people through that. So it wasn't just the prophet speaking words, but he enacted the word of God. First thing he did, which is what we're reading from in our text, is he made a visit to the potter. And he observed the potter working with clay on the potter's wheel. And that's what we're mainly concerned with. So he told Jeremiah, you need to go to the potter's house. And that's what he did. And this was a word from the Lord. And then uh, he enacted the word again in the next chapter by smashing a pottery vessel at the entry of the eastern gate. And um, in, in, in doing this, and you can read that next chapter, chapter 19, if you wish. Uh, it's not pleasant. Word of God is not always the most pleasant thing in, in the world, but it's, it's, it's of him and it's righteous and it's his will. That's all that matters. And he was pronouncing there's going to be judgment if you don't turn from your evil ways. And so he has Jeremiah take this pottery and smash it. And he's letting them know, um, do you want to be that pottery? Because there's a point when God decides it's going to be destruction. And this is all throughout Scripture. It's not something surprising. Come on, Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on, so many you know, uh, different people that were so against the will of God, he gives them chances. It's not like there's, you know, he's, he's telling a prophet, show them what's going to happen. And ultimately, we know at the end of days, there's going to be a judgment still yet. And there's going to be people who, if they have not taken up those chances that God has offered them, there will be a judgment. There will be a destruction. And so he's, he's doing all this. He's having Jeremiah enact the word of God in order to send a message to these people. You need to turn from your ways. There's power 
in the enacted word of God that Jeremiah was doing. What essentially happened here is God says, Jeremiah, I want my people to obey my word. Therefore, man of God, obey my word. You catch that? In order for the people to turn around from their ways and follow God's word, he has a man of God follow his word, enact his word. Um, and truly, if we want to see change in the people around us, we want to see change in our world, what do we need to start by doing? We need to follow the word of the Lord in our own lives. It needs to start with us. I'm not here this morning to teach um, the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi, but he did say, be the change that you want to see in the world. And if we want to see this world transformed with revival, then we need to have personal revival in our soul. And they need to be able to observe the enacted word of God in our lives and see something different. You got to be the revival. We want to see revival. Let's be the revival. Amen. And so he, he tells Jeremiah, um, I want you to go to the potter's house. And so I'm just going to try to put this in narrative form for you a little bit. Jeremiah leaves wherever he's at once he receives this word and um, he travels I don't know how far perhaps in the same city and he goes down to the potter's house so maybe an equivalent of that uh, in the rector I don't know would be to go down to harps where the butcher's working I don't know and he goes down and he's watching the potter and it's not this uh, it's really casual. The potter's not doing anything out of the ordinary. He's doing what he does every day. And there's this potter's wheel. Never seen anybody work like this. And they've got this clay and, and they form it with the wheel in their hands. And they press it against this wheel and it forms the clay into whatever it is that they want it to be. And he's observing all this. And I can see it as peaceful. God has not left. God's there with him observing Jeremiah observe the potter and Jeremiah's standing here and he sees this potter working and he's like okay this is something anybody can see any day in this town and he's watching the potter and all of a sudden this bowl if you will that he's working with on this wheel all of a sudden there's a part of it that begins to protrude and it's not in the right place. It, it won't make a bowl correctly. It's, it's just not, it has to be, something's gotta be done with it. And so he's observing a potter who now has a blemish in the creation that he's trying to bring about. And I want you to notice today that the scripture, if you look at what the scripture says, it says the vessel became marred in the hand of the potter. It does not say the potter messed up and the bowl was incomplete. It says that the vessel became marred in the hand of the potter. And this is making a very important point here. It was not the clumsy hands of the potter that created an imperfection in the vessel, but rather the skillful work of the potter 
revealed a flaw that was present in the clay already. It was not a mistake that was made by the potter. Now we need to step back for a second and understand. Clearly, the potter is God himself. It's what's being represented here. God is working on this clay. And all of a sudden this blemish comes forth. It's not God's fault that that imperfection is there. It wasn't a mistake made by Him, but rather the fact that He is so perfect and so mighty and He's working with a person that is imperfect and not mighty. Naturally, an imperfection comes out and He finds it. And then we're brought to a point of tension. Because what now needs to happen? I can see there being a pause. Jeremiah sees this happen. Something's wrong with this bowl. Is he going to throw the bowl out? Going to do away with the whole idea of it because it has an imperfection? Or is he going to do something else with it? And the audience is left to briefly wonder what's about to happen with this vessel. What will the potter do next? There would seem to be both the obvious and easiest solution to just throw it out and grab another piece of clay and begin working. And then the prophet's next words were, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. At the precise moment when it looked like the lump of clay was only bound for rejection and destruction. There was no use for it. The potter was able to save it by transforming it into something different. Aren't you thankful today that when God began to work on your soul and things were exposed that didn't need to be there, He didn't just grab the clay and throw it out, but He began working that out of you and said, I'm going to make a new creation. I'm going to make it fresh and anew. And the clay doesn't need to feel guilty about having an imperfection when it's in the hands of a perfect God that can work it out and form it out of that clay. He had the choice, folks, of doing away with creation. He could have done it at the snap of a finger, done away with all creation for all the imperfections that are there that we have even today. But instead, he chooses to put us on the potter's wheel and to form those things out of us, to make us into the vessel that he wants us to be. The focus in all this, it would seem if you're reading it that the focus is on the clay, but it's on the power of the potter. He has the ability to work those things out if we'll submit to him. Now that's the key. You've got to submit to the potter's wheel. And when thinking about human history, it's interesting to notice that God chose to showcase His power by preventing the fall of Genesis from happening, but immediately after that, launching a plan, a long-term plan to reverse the fall's impact. He knew what was going on. He knew the fact that humanity had fallen and was living in sin. And immediately, He says, I'm going to make a long-term plan. You have that prophecy that there's going to be one born of man and he's going to defeat all of sin. 
and it's prophesied of Golgotha, the place where he would be immediately in Genesis, the first book of our Bible. Now there's a prophecy of salvation already because he's working it out. He's working it out on the potter's wheel. Throughout Scripture, he didn't prevent humans from falling into difficult places. Rather, he rescued them when they encountered adversity. It's important today that we recognize that in all of this, what's being glorified in this story is the power of God. It's not the power of man. It's the power of God that works these things out of our life. Now, I don't this morning for a second belittle any type of uh, rehab or things like that that are man-made to work things out of people's lives. These things are great, but I can tell you this. You can go through a rehab and it won't save your soul. And ultimately, ultimately, God has the power to take away that addiction and save your soul. And that's got to be the ultimate end. He said before, and you know, in his word, that I could heal you, but the ultimate thing is that I bring you salvation. I could heal you, but what's the more wonderful miracle is that you're saved from it. Amen. And so humanity can't simply transform itself by its own willpower. You, you never, there's no way, there's no preacher, there's no person that could ever say by his own power, he's going to make sure that you don't make it to hell. It's not by his power. There's no willpower of any human being that's going to keep anybody out of hell. It's only the power of God. And so the lump of clay, hear me this morning, can't transform itself. The potter has to superintend this process. He has to be there forming the clay and changing it. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we begin to experience real and lasting change in our lives because lasting change doesn't come by human power but by the power of God. And spiritual transformation does not begin when we suddenly work up enough determination and a resolve to make the sought-after change permanent. It's got to be a formation that can only transpire as God works in our lives. There's things in the Spirit, folks, that the only way you'll ever get to that point is by the power of God. It's the only way. The only way. I, I know somebody who just this week, I had um, a conversation. We'll call it a conversation about this phrase in our world today that people so love to use. They, you know, they quote the Bible and... They believe that because they're standing on the authority of the Bible that they're completely right. But you have to take into account the whole word. But this phrase that, that people use, you know, don't judge me or you're not supposed to judge. Boy, you're quick to, quick to quote that, you know. And uh, I, I've got a friend even that's, that it's, it's become the motto of his life that you, you can't judge me, you know. And really what it is, is, is it's an excuse for living in sin for some people. They say, well, you can't judge me. The scripture says you can't judge me. And so instead of using it as what God meant for, it's an excuse for sin in some people's life. Now this scene with the potter's wheel sets the record straight very quickly. God not only wants to save you, but to form you into something special. 
The goal of God is not just to save you from sin, but he's got a purpose for you beyond that. Can I have an amen? amen. It's not just to bring you salvation, but he wants to form you into something. So, for that to happen, if you want to be formed into what God wants you to be, you then have to submit to the potter. You got to allow him to form you and expose flaws. Now, this is the hang-up for some people. The world is all about, yes, salvation. Now, we can handle that. What a lot of people can't handle is then getting on the potter's wheel and allowing him to form that vessel and work things out of your life because we don't want to let go of things out of our life. It's just the truth. And so it is so easy to say, don't judge me when you're not on the potter's wheel and you're not allowing God to work these things out of your life because you don't want that to happen. You want to keep those things. And the scripture itself says, uh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does it say? God forbid. Just because there's grace, just because people aren't supposed to judge. Does that mean that we continue in sin? God forbid. Why would we continue in sin when he's done all that he has for us? We ought not do that. Salvation is not an end and an arrival. We're not finished until the potter is satisfied with the vessel that he's forming. And that's not ever going to happen until he comes back and takes us up with him. That's the point when we're going to be like him and completion has happened all of the flaws have finally left us. And so it's important the, the lump of clay has to understand it cannot transform itself. But it has to be by the potter alone. Some people get the idea that they can somehow will themselves into being a more spiritual person. But really, if you can just get closer to God, just get closer to the potter. Let the potter work. That will likely take place because the goal is not to form you, yourself, but to allow God to form you. Allow Him to do His work. The scripture, this prophecy, then goes on to talk about divine judgment for nations and individuals. Uh, it's simply a fact. It's simply a fact that God pronounces judgment upon nations that do not do His will. Um, I mean, we talked about this. You know what? Matter of fact, let me just read a little bit to you today of that chapter that I said was a little bit uh, <clears throat> uncomfortable to read, maybe. Now, th this is a prophecy that came to Jeremiah about a nation of Judah that is not doing the will of God. And he says, I want you to go down to the potter's house and see how I want to form them. This is what I want to do. But if you turn from that and you don't do that, Jeremiah, this is what I then want you to do. I want you to take the piece of clay, the pot, and smash it on the ground, and, and maybe that'll express to them what will happen if you don't do my will. And so he goes to the potter's house. He sees all this. Chapter 19, Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah. It's the nation of Judah. 
and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. Because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. They have built also the high priests of Baal to burn their sons with fire, for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days to come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Topheth, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but it's going to be called the valley of slaughter. Now, we don't just talk about the fact that God loves a nation that does right, and God is not respectful and brings judgment on a nation that does not. This is the Word of God, folks. The Lord loves a nation that does good, that does His will. And, and the fact is, He will bless that nation that will do good. And at the same way, an individual that will do good, God will bless that individual. Now, He's given them chances. He's given them opportunities. But there comes a point where God can no longer extend His blessing. He gives us chances. But there comes that point. And His goal in all of it is not the destruction. That's not it. He's a loving God. Now let's back up a minute. Discipline. He's a disciplining God. And the whole idea of every bit of this, He doesn't want it to get to that point of judgment. He wants there to be a discipline learned that we can't just take up these, these uh, gods and begin to burn sacrifices to them and serve them. That's never been anything that God's ever commanded or He said even come into His mind. And so there's got to be a discipline that's learned from that. In our lives, there's things, there's things even once you begin serving God that He already starts pushing you away from. He's attempting to get you to leave from doing that. Whatever that is, whatever that sin is that was in your life, he says, I want you to get away from that. And then once you, you, you begin to keep doing that, he says, I'm telling you again, and he pushes a little harder, you need to leave that. And it's this push from God, and he's all of it is trying to discipline us, every bit of it. And the, the unfortunate thing, this is just a fact. There are people that come to God. They repent. They receive the Holy Ghost. Speaking in another tongue. They're baptized in Jesus' name. But perhaps they got those last two things down pat. But the repentance didn't go far enough. And not everything out of their life they repented from that they got away from. And it's still there. It's still there. It's still struggling with it or whatever it is or maybe they got it all right and they repented of it still they're struggling with temptation or whatever it is after that God is pushing us away from those things he's trying to separate us from sin because we shouldn't continue in sin that grace may be God wants us to have abundant life he wants us to live righteously he wants us to live a life of Holiness. These are not things that should be despised. These are things that are of God that He's trying to work into our lives. And it's nothing that we can do on our own. He forms it into us. 
It's the power of God that causes this to happen. It's so very easy to be met with a characteristic or decision of God that clashes against what we want and to us to say to God, no, God, you're wrong. Or why, God, why would you let this happen? And that's when we have to remember something about God that a lot of people forget, a lot of people look over. And it's real simple. God is right. He's right. It may not seem right to us. We may not understand why we have to live that way. But guess what? God is right. And that's not going to change. He's never been wrong. And so whatever it is that God impresses on us on that potter's wheel and begins to work into our life, the clay can't turn to God and say, that's not what I want to be. It's the power of God that's working us, working that all out of our life and forming us into something that's much better. It's something that is right in the eyes of God. In chapter 18, God revealed to Jeremiah the guiding principle of his judgment. And it's very simple. He will, he will reverse judgment on a nation when it decides to do right. He'll reverse that. At the same time, he'll reverse blessing on a, on a nation or a person that then decides to do wrong. But the intended purpose for bringing judgment is to draw us back to him. That's always the purpose of God. And the writer of Hebrews reminded us the Lord loves those that he chastens. He loves those that He chastens. The things that you go through, perhaps, is by the love of God. You don't even see it or realize that yet. Remember the two reasons for not receiving a word from God that I mentioned last week? I, I can only think of two main reasons. That either, number one, it's not time for you to receive that word and for God to bring you to that. Or number two, the first word that he gave to you wasn't obeyed in the first place. So why would he give you something else that you got to struggle with? And so in the same way, God may sometimes remove blessing from somebody. He may remove blessing from somebody as he would, you know, them receiving a word from him because they have not completed or done what he's asked them to do to the person who says, Today, I just want my life to be blessed. I would say to them, just obey His Word. You want your life to be blessed of God? You can start somewhere real simple. You don't have to have like this massive ministry or something going on to be blessed of God. Start by obeying His Word. Whatever the Word of God says. You say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I'm in the will of God. Well, the will of God is the Word of God. We know we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to make disciples. Start with that. Obey the Word and see if God don't bless your life. Amen. And so God desires to shape our lives. The only task that was assigned to the clay, the clay is us in Jeremiah chapter 18, was the task of yielding to the potter's hand. The clay does not have that big of a job, really. It doesn't take that much effort. But what it's got to do is give up control 
and say to the potter, make me what you want me to be. If I've got to get rid of things out of my life, make me into what you want me to be. If you want me to step out and do other things with my time, make me into what you want me to be. It's so hard as human beings sometimes to release our own will and say, God, do what you want to do in my life. But that's where the miracle starts, folks. When that clay can say, make me what you want me to be. Whatever the potter makes you is going to be beautiful anyway. Why should it matter to us? We need to say, Lord, do what you want in my life. Do what you want to do in my life. And surrender to that potter's hand. Surrender to God can take on several forms. It could be, now I'm talking in our own lives right now. Staying with our current job and passing up a promising promotion because the mood would keep us away from church. It could be watching in pain as loved ones walk away from God but refusing to become angry and bitter toward those people. It could be giving up our own dreams and ambitions to serve our ministerial calling. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways that that surrender can take place, but it's got to. And all of these things bend us and form us to the will of God. This morning I cannot help but refer us to the scripture that I believe that God called me into the ministry with. And you just see if this isn't appropriate this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And doing this is just your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be transformed like you're on the potter's wheel and how is it done by the renewing of your mind how does God work these things out of our lives how do we change how do we become anything different what is what is it that has us on the potter's wheel. The more you're in the Holy Ghost and the more He renews your mind and changes you through the power of His Spirit, that's the transformation. We're transformed by the Holy Ghost. And, and maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but I can't help but think that every time more that I'm in the Holy Ghost and I'm in the Spirit, that I change again. And we move from glory to glory in His Spirit until one day we're at the ultimate glory and we're like Him. And He's finally formed that clay into what it's supposed to be. You're transformed. Not conformed to this world. Not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that He may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. It's the will of God that we're transformed and things have left our life. Amen. And it all happens. Every bit of this happens in the presence of Him. In the presence of Him. Today, today in this room, I feel like we're all just pieces of clay that He's forming on the potter's wheel. And already we've changed the form of our life. 
you could say you feel like God's made you a better person in the spirit. You've changed some things. There's things that you've left out of your life as he's formed them out. But today, let me say this. He's not done forming you until your last day. And he takes you up and you receive a new body. And we're with him. And so, let me say this. We ought to get in the spirit. We ought to get in the Holy Ghost and be transformed by the renewing of our minds just a little bit more. We've not come so far that we don't need a little more transformation this morning. Amen. I could use God to form some things out of me just a little bit and say, hey, here's what I want you to be. Let me bring you up just a little bit higher to another glory and form you from that simple piece of clay into a vessel that I can be proud of. Why? Because he's right. He's right. Would you stand with me this morning? We don't need to be ashamed that God's still working on us. Let me just throw out a simple fact today. Everybody here today, every single person, still deals with the sin issue. We're living in a sinful world. And we have to battle against that in our lives. We've got to battle temptation. And God is still working things out of us. Today, even still, God is trying to form you more into that person that He wants you to be. And as a matter of fact, something that's unfortunate that happens is we ourselves often attempt to keep our past, the things that we deal with, away from everybody else. Nobody can see it. Nobody can see it. And, you know, we need each other. We can't come to a point to where we don't want to have help with our struggle. You can't do it on your own. You need the help of God, but you also need the brethren and sisters that God's put around you. Because you never know. They may have went through exactly what you've been through. You need that help. And it's so often, it's so often, it's just a fact in the church that we want to bottle up those things that we're dealing with in our life and nobody can see it because we're ashamed. There's nothing wrong with being ashamed of sin. But it's when you don't you come to a point that you don't want any help. You don't want anybody to come alongside and, and maybe see that because you're ashamed of what they might think. Now, now here's, here's what I'm getting at today. Our young people, our students, our new converts, they don't need to see perfect Christians. What they need to see is people who have been transformed from who they used to be. It's hard to live up to perfection. But boy, it's, it's so drawing when a young person sees brother so-and-so, they used to deal with what I dealt with, and look at them now. It, it, isn't that just so much more drawing today? 
They don't need to see perfection. A testimony of transformation is far more powerful than a testimony of perfection. People want to see this transformation take place in our life. They want to see that you're on the potter's wheel. They want to see that there's still change happening. Because they want that in their life. They're sick and tired of being a marred vessel. They want those things formed out of them. How in the world is that ever going to happen? We've got to get them on the potter's wheel. We've got to get them in the Holy Ghost. That's here this morning. That's what they're looking for. People looking in the world, searching, searching for what can take away the pain, what can take away the struggles, the imperfections. It's not going to be drugs. It's not going to be alcohol. It's not going to be anything that gives you a, a, a small satisfaction. But it's going to be the struggle, if you will. The long-term Enduring act of submitting to the potter. Submitting to the hand of the potter. Working out all these things. Amen. Perhaps perhaps this morning you, you're recalling things right now that God has pulled out of your life. You don't deal with it anymore. It's just not there. The potter's hand has taken it away. I think it would be appropriate this morning if we just thank God for that. Would you lift your hands right now? Come on, think back. Think back of who you used to be. The things that you struggled with. What did